Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 42. The Greatest Commander of Them All. Alexander of Macedon had conquered the Persian Empire. In just five years he had achieved what nobody thought possible. Even after such a short time on the throne, he already deserved the title which he was later given, Alexander the Great. The only question was, what comes next? A man like Alexander would always be hungry for more. He wasn't going to be able simply to return to Macedon and rule his vast empire. Alexander the Great wanted to be even greater. Unfortunately, some of Alexander's Greek troops weren't so keen on making the great man greater. They had been campaigning for many hard years and had had enough. Alexander took a very sensible decision. He let his Greek troops go home. He knew there had been a Spartan-led rebellion in Greece which Antipater had put down, and he didn't want to make enemies of the Greeks that he ruled. So, just like that, he let them go home. He replaced them with Persians and soldiers from other conquered lands. Of course, he still had the faithful Macedonians with him. The army may have been a little less Greek, but it was just as powerful, and it still had its great leader. The great leader, though, seemed to be becoming a little less Greek. He took to wearing Persian dress and doing things in a Persian way. At first, he only wore Persian clothes when dealing with the Persians, but he soon started wearing them all the time. The Macedonians thought this was a bit strange, but hey, he was Alexander the Great, so they let him off. They drew the line at his next Persian custom, though. Persian kings were used to complete obedience and grovelling. Alexander decided this was the way a king should be treated, and he demanded that people prostrate themselves down on the ground when they came into his presence. They had to bend down low and lie on the ground in front of him. The Greeks and Macedonians refused. This, they thought, seemed too much like a man behaving as if he was a god. As we know, very often a great man has his dark side. Alexander the Great was no different. One of his generals, a man named Philotas, was accused of trying to have him murdered. Philotas's father was Parmenian, one of Alexander's trusted generals, and Philotas bragged that it was his father who had made the king the success that he was. Alexander pretended that he was having the matter investigated, but instead simply had Philotas assassinated. Then he had Parmenian assassinated too. Alexander was not a forgiving man. Another time, Alexander and his friends were sitting up drinking. One of his generals, having had far too much to drink, got up and confronted the king. The general, who was called Clytus, had saved Alexander's life at the Battle of Grancius and was a good friend of the king. He stood up, bared his battle scars and shouted, It is by the blood of Macedonians and by these wounds that you have become so great, and now you disown your father and make yourself the son of a god. There was a hushed silence. Then a couple of Clytus's friends told him to shut up and stop being silly. The wine had taken over though, and Clytus didn't shut up. More insults were thrown, until Alexander, also drunk and by now hopping mad, threw an apple at Clytus's head. Clytus was bundled out of the dining room by his friends, but, rather stupidly, forced his way back in. Alexander grabbed a spear and ran it through the man who had once saved his life, pinning him to the wall. The king spent the night weeping for the loss of a friend. He remembered the words of his teacher. He who sins when drunk, said Aristotle, must be punished twice, once for sinning and once for being drunk. 
The king didn't learn from the death of Clytus, though. Other people who crossed him received similar treatment. By 329, Alexander was conquering again. Initially, his aim was simply to catch up with Bessus, the man who had killed Darius III. He marched his troops across the horrible, bare and lifeless terrain. He led them over the Hindu Kush mountains into the area we now know as Afghanistan. As we know, Alexander succeeded in his aim of punishing Bessus relatively quickly. This campaign, though, turned into a grand tour of Central Asia. Alexander founded new cities, all called Alexandria, including one which is now Kandahar in Afghanistan and one in modern Tajikistan. The campaign took Alexander through Media, Parthia, Arya, Arachosia, Bactria, Scythia and Sogdiana. He conquered them all, defeating many of the tribes in battle. None of the tribes were able to muster much resistance against the Macedonian army. Until, that is, the Sogdian peasants, led by a man called Spiatamines, revolted. They were joined by a number of other small tribes. Now, Alexander had had amazing success. His armies had defeated everything the Persians and anyone else had thrown at them. The Sogdians, though, presented a new challenge. They fought on horseback, and these horsemen were also expert archers. The Macedonian phalanx was no match for highly skilled mounted archers. Alexander was not called Alexander the Great for nothing. He simply fought the Sogdian mounted archers with even better mounted archers recruited from his new empire. He was successful in putting down the rebellion. Alexander realised that his army, although always victorious, was getting smaller. Some men had been killed in battle and some had died of natural causes. He decided he'd have to set up camp in Bactria for the winter and wait for reinforcements. He also decided he'd better make sure the Sogdians gave him no more trouble while he waited, so he ravaged the land and killed loads of the peasants. The peasants of Sogdia caused him no further trouble, mostly because there were no peasants left. In the spring, the reinforcements, mostly Greek mercenaries, arrived. A new great army was created. This time it was composed of Macedonians, Greeks, Persians and many other tribesmen. 30,000 men from the place we now call Iran were formed into a huge phalanx. Bactrian horsemen and local archers were welcomed into this new multinational army. Before he marched his new army towards further conquests, Alexander took a little time out. In order to strengthen the bonds with his new subjects, he married the daughter of one of the Sogdian leaders, Roxanne of Bactria. A few years later, she would give birth to Alexander's son. By the winter of 327 BC, Alexander the Great was ready for his next adventure. He left some troops behind to keep the local tribes quiet and marched the rest of his army east. The king of Macedon had decided he was going to conquer India and march to the edge of the known world. The Greeks knew about India from the tales of their historians. The story is told of a strange and magical place. It must have seemed to Alexander and his men that they were about to enter, enter a land of fairy tales. The early part of the campaign in India was a complete bloodbath. The king's army stormed into the Indus Valley and began to fight against the local clans. The Asapoi were defeated, followed by the Gurians. Next to face Alexander, his new horse archers and his trusty hedgehog of death were the Asekanoi, 
who held three forts called Masaga, Aura and Aornos. First, the army of Alexander attacked the fort of Masaga, which was only taken after a few days of bloody fighting. Alexander was wounded seriously in the ankle. He took out his pain on the fort. Not only did he slaughter the entire population of Masaga, he also reduced its buildings to rubble. A similar massacre followed at Aura. The remaining Asakenians fled to the fortress of Aornos. They ended up wishing that they hadn't. According to local legend, not even the god Krishna, a heroic Indian god, had been able to take the rock on which the fort was built. The rock rose 1,700 metres above the river. However, after some scouting by Ptolemy and local guides, Alexander came up with a plan. His engineers built a mound, allowing the entire Macedonian army to reach the fortress. It was quickly taken. There was absolutely no need to capture Aeornos, but the message was clear. The Indians were facing someone more powerful than Krishna. Alexander marched on into a region in northern India we now know as the Punjab. There, at the Battle of the Hydaspes, he defeated King Porus. The victory was achieved despite the Indian king having a large number of war elephants. Alexander was impressed by the king's bravery. Instead of slaughtering as many people as possible, he negotiated with Porus and made him into a friend and ally. Satisfied that he'd secured even more territory for his massive empire, Alexander the Great moved on. By June 326 BC, Alexander's army had reached the Hyphasis River. The conquering army had travelled as far east as it would ever get. They were 5,000 kilometres from home and had been campaigning for eight years. Alexander the Great ordered his men to cross the river. Even though they loved their king, this was just too much for the soldiers. They said no. They had a good point. They had set out on a quest to punish the Persians, and the Persians had been well and truly punished. The soldiers from southern Greece had been sent home, but the Macedonians had remained with Alexander while he went further east, conquering and slaughtering everyone who got in his way. They had had enough. They had marched a total of 20,000 kilometres. They were not going to go any further. Alexander was, to put it mildly, very, very annoyed. He tried very hard to talk them into going on, using every method of persuasion he could think of. First, he tried to tell them that they were like the ancient heroes, doing great deeds and they must carry on. They said no. Next, he tried to convince them that they were nearly at the edge of the world and it would be a shame to leave the last little bit unconquered. They said no. Alexander told his men that their lives back in Macedonia had been boring and unheroic and all they had been doing was keeping a few Thracians out. The current quest was much more exciting and glorious. They said no. The King of Kings, as he liked to think of himself, finally realised he wasn't going to win the argument. He was furious but he was beaten. He ordered that, the huge, that huge statues be made and placed on the banks of the river. He had huge suits of armour left alongside the statues. Alexander wanted to convince anyone who came along that the land was defended by giants. Hopefully, he thought, this would scare off any potential invaders. Sadly, and still a bit cross, Alexander agreed to lead his men back home. He didn't, though, agree which way they'd go. He didn't agree how long it would take, and he didn't agree there'd be no more fighting. Alexander ordered some ships to be built, and then marched his army south along the Hyphasis River, aiming to reach the Arabian Sea. This was not the way they had come. 
In their way were some of the scariest and fiercest tribes in the Punjab. The army knew they were on their way home and they found a new strength. Led by Alexander, Ptolemy and Hephaestion, the army fought harder than they'd ever fought before. The tribes were smashed into submission. Somehow, Alexander the Great must have known that these battles would be the last ones he would fight on his campaign of conquest in the east. The king had shown himself to be incredibly brave. It was one of the reasons his men loved him so much. In taking on the tribes of the Punjab, though, Alexander's bravery turned into recklessness. When the Macedonian army was engaged in a campaign against the Malians, they laid siege to the Malian capital. Alexander was impatient for victory and was not in the mood to wait a long time for the siege to work. Charging ahead of his army, he jumped on top of the city walls. Without waiting for the rest of his hoplites to catch up, he jumped down from the walls into the city and attacked the startled Malians. They fought back, but Alexander didn't seem to care. He killed many of the enemy, despite being wounded several times. He was only stopped when hit by an arrow, which lodged itself in his chest. Some of the Macedonian troops had arrived by then, and they dragged their king clear. The city was taken, but the king had gained an unwanted arrow. His generals fretted over what to do. On the one hand, they could pull the arrow out, and Alexander would probably bleed to death. On the other hand, they could leave it in, but a king of kings wandering around with a huge great arrow sticking out would look a bit silly, and it would probably kill him before too long anyway. Alexander, fed up with his generals pondering what to do, tried to pull the arrow out himself. Screaming in pain, he tugged at it, trying to drag it out. This seemed to shake the men out of their indecisiveness, and one of them took hold of the arrow and pulled. With a dreadful sound of arrowhead scraping against bone, the arrow came out. Alexander, amazingly, survived and quickly recovered. The army was soon on the move again. Finally they reached the sea, but the troops were in. Alexander ordered his admiral, Nearchus, to take some of the men aboard the ships and explore the coast. The rest of the army, he announced, was going to march back to Persia by crossing the Gedrosian Desert. Why Alexander decided to do this is not certain. Some say it was because he had heard that nobody had ever made it across alive and he fancied the challenge. Some say he just wanted to pun punish the men for refusing to carry on conquering. Either way, the Macedonian army set off on a suicide march. Sixty days later, the survivors staggered out of the desert and into Persia. Many of the army didn't make it. Some were simply swallowed up by moving sands. Some died of heat stroke. Some perished when heavy rain caused water to crash down in torrents from the mountains and swept them away. Some simply gave up and died. In order to stay alive, the survivors had had to eat their own horses and mules. Exhausted and half dead, they reached the safety of the city of Susa in February 324 BC. Back in safe territory, Alexander was determined to force the Greeks, Macedonians, Persians and all the other citizens of his empire to live in a similar way. He continued to adopt Persian customs and even forced 10,000 of his soldiers to marry native women. The men rebelled and demanded to be able to go home. Alexander told them they were ungrateful. He had given them riches and power. He said this is how they repaid him. The men, ashamed, begged forgiveness. Alexander accepted and then let many of them go home anyway. 324 BC 
was not a good year for Alexander the Great. There were rebellions in Greece, which Antipater had to put down. There were arguments with some of the Asian satraps, many of which Alexander executed. There was far too much partying and drinking. After one particularly long-lasting, loud, drunken party, Alexander's general and best friend, Hephaestion, died. Alexander was distraught. Alexander the Great was the greatest commander the world had known. It seems, though, that he wasn't happy unless he was conquering. He didn't really like running his empire when it was peaceful. Whether he was bored or going a bit mad, as 324 became 323, he began to drink more and his behaviour got worse and worse. When some Macedonians arrived from Greece, they witnessed the Persians grovelling at the feet of the King of Kings. They found it quite amusing and laughed. Alexander grabbed a couple of them by the hair and smashed their brains out on the stone floor. He executed the doctor who hadn't been able to save Hephaestion. He executed plenty of other people. He was frequently violent and saw bad omens all over the place. He sacrificed to the gods almost constantly. In Babylon, in early 323, Alexander began to plan his next campaigns. He had thousands and thousands of Persian troops trained ready to place his, replace his Macedonians. He was going to conquer Arabia and then Carthage. He was going to make his vast empire even larger. In June 323, after a particularly heavy drinking session, Alexander went down with a fever. Instead of drinking water and going to bed to recover, Alexander drank huge quantities of wine and tried to carry on planning his future conquests. The fever got worse and the king became violent before becoming more and more ill. Pretty soon he was virtually unable to speak. Alexander the Great died on the afternoon of June the 11th, 323 BC. He was one month away from celebrating his 33rd birthday. He was, without doubt, a truly great military leader, even if he wasn't always a terribly nice person. He left no heir. His wife Roxanne was pregnant, but of course nobody knew if the child would be a boy or a girl. As he lay on his deathbed, Alexander was visited by one of his commanders, a man called Perdiccas. The general leaned over the dying king and whispered a question. Who will be your successor? he asked. Who does the kingdom go to? Alexander summoned up his failing strength and managed to utter just three words. To the strongest. Next week, Alexander's generals will battle it out to find out who really is the strongest. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.